When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scott, NVS fins, I would encourage all of our listeners, make an investment in your surfing. I know fins are confusing. If you go to the store, you know, there's a bunch of different sets of thrusters, which one is appropriate for your board, which size is appropriate for you. Here's the solution. Just email the boys at NVS. I'm pretty certain Jamin or Leif, the owners, would be the ones who read and answer that email anyways. Send them a photo of your surfboard. Be like, here's where I surf and let them help you guide you into the perfect set. Yeah, you know, um, true story, although all my stories are true. Uh, just the <laughs> other day, just the other day. So I got a new Pat Rawson quad, and um, it was to replace one of my, it was an exact replica of one of my favorite boards. And it's a step up four fin. And I put a set of fins in it, and I just did not like the board. In fact, the fins hummed. Um, and I was kind of like, ah, you know what? Maybe this board's just not, you know, a lot of times it's hard to get a replica, an exact replica, you know, a board that's just as wonderful. And so I put the board away for, I don't know, at least a month. And then the surf came up here last week and I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch the fins out. Maybe it was the fins. And I put in a new set of NVS fins and the board worked insane. I was so yeah, stoked. Right. I was like, yes, it's back. You know, like I've got my board for Indo. You know what I mean? My 6-6 six, six step up for the winter here in Southern California. So um, super stoked. And, and I would just, so that's, that's my message to listeners is don't be afraid to just switch out the fans. And I know for somebody as slothful as me, that's kind of a tall ask. But I did it because I was kind of forced to, and I'm so glad I did, you know, and it was a, it's a very simple thing for God's sakes, just, you know, put the fin key in, pop in some new fins and um, it's, it's always fun, you know, trying new fins on a new board and guess what? Your board's going to react completely different. And uh, I don't think enough of us do that. At least I'm speaking for myself. I can't speak for the masses, but I know I don't do it as much as I should. And every time I do, I'm enlightened. Yeah. That's totally happened to me as well. So surfnvs.com is their website. And like I said, that kind of small business, personal customer service from the experts themselves is the key here. Obviously, the fins we've talked about ad nauseum in terms of the quality is incredible. Um, and they've got something for everyone in terms of designs, templates, and they can custom make fins, of course, for uh, in low quantities for surfboard shapers. So surfnvs.com. And then also real water sports. Um, I mean, that Rawson, I don't know if that exact model, but they carry real water sports carries a bunch of Rawsons. So you can snag well, Scott's favorite sure. board there. I too. don't know for a fact, but I know Trip Trip and I geek out on our Rawsons and um he knows which model I have, which is the Impala. And Trip and I are kind of in the same, like you, we're all kind of in that same like mid-40s, 50s wheelhouse where we like a little bit, you know, a board that's easy to ride basically i'll just put it that way yeah and so it wouldn't surprise me if they have the impala in I think there they do yeah 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. And they carry NVS fins, but um, but yeah, real water sports, of course, is not a place that you can grab all that stuff too. And then um waterways, we were talking about. Have you been looking at the swell charts? What's happening yeah, across look, the world? I don't think it's any big surprise that the best place for surfing right now is Hawaii. <laughs> I mean, it's been pumping there and the El Nino season it has been spinning off westerly directed swell energy towards that island chain. There, There's more than Oahu. There's a bunch of different islands. And um, man, you know, go there with... Uh, love in your heart and low expectations and um you'll be pretty psyched uh, don't overestimate your own abilities either it's a dangerous place and scary but there's opportunities there's lots of nooks and crannies and smaller spots too despite um what you see on instagram uh but yeah use waterwaystravel.com for all any and all they are your surf concierge scott and i try to give advice here we pale in comparison to the folks at Waterways who have specifically been doing this since 1994. They are the experts and have partnerships with not only hotel owners, but um, you know, boat drivers, photographers, everybody to kind of get you to and from where you need to go. And so they will get you dialed into the right waves any time of year for any level of luxury as well. So check out waterwaystravel.com. See some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Holy mackerel, David. It's spit. It's the winter time. It's a Thursday, December 7th. Uh, this is the day that we recognize the attack on Pearl Harbor. And basically the day that we uh, the United States got involved in World War II. And um, a day that I think many Brits raise a, raise a glass to and say, hey, we're sorry you got attacked, but we're glad you're in the war. Uh, <laughs> but uh, David, welcome. We're talking spit all things surf. And um, good morning. You always do a good job reminding me about December 7th. Um, every time we podcast, even if it's not on December 7th or every year in de early December. Um, and I always remember it because my grandfather, my dearly departed grandfather's birthday is the day before, which is December mm. 6th. And he was at Pearl Harbor um, when uh, the planes flew over and all that kind of stuff. So it was, uh, he was very young and it was a very traumatic experience, but um, he lived on Oahu at the time. And so witnessed all of that stuff. That's so cool. That's incredible. I mean, it's cool that you have a, such a close connection to that, um, you know, infamous day, a day that will live in the infamy as uh, President Roosevelt stated, you know, I just finished a book. I don't know if I told you about this book. I probably did. It's called The Splendid and the Vile. Did I tell mm -hmm. you about that? You referenced it, but you didn't really talk about it. Well, it's about the year 1940 in Winston Churchill's and in the um, Britain's um, you know, time frame there. And it's it's incredible, um, you know, the time leading up to when the United States got involved in the war. I highly recommend it. Um, the Splendid and the Vile. 
And I want to say Eric Larson wrote the book. Sweet. Great. Good recommendation. Um, well, hey, the internet's kind of been blowing up in the last 14 hours. The wow. day, the wave of the year may have possibly been written yesterday afternoon. Yeah. And I pulled up Instagram and if initially it was just whoever made it, whoever got the opportunity to post first happened to be a wide shot from the sand where you could barely see the surfer on the wave in the background, but the wave, yeah. it was at, it was at back door, but the way that the thing was kind of loading up on the reef and I saw a little speck of a human, I go, Oh, he's going to go left on the pipe wave. Cause it's just a massive closeout on the right. And then he gets to his feet and aims right. And I'm just like, the fact that they posted this probably means he makes it, but there's no way he's going to make this thing. And he pulls in and just the whole beach is just like, you can hear him audibly calm, like, oh, 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 oh. The thing runs from pipe, like the right back door at pipe, all the way to off the wall, which is kind of where the cameraman is sitting. And the kid gets spit out of this wave. And I just went, wow, that was an incredible wave. I'm sure there's got to be other angles of it. So then for the next six hours. And then this morning again, when I woke up, I just saw various angles of it, including close-ups and everything. The kid's name is Kanehi Hunt from Kauai. Uh, very little known. I think he had like 5,000 followers when I followed him last night. He's up to 7,300 now, but <laughs> that is the opening story for sure. I mean, this is a pretty epic kind of day of surf on the North shore. And this wave was insanely ridden almost by, you know, a not a nobody, but a very little known surfer. Yeah, you, you, you've summarized the situation really well. It, the first version I saw was from, I think it was from Zeke's Instagram account. I think he was the filmer. And that's the one that you mentioned where it's kind of, you know, just some guy with a camera, you know. And yeah, then, uh, iPhone. Yeah, an iPhone. And as you mentioned, there's just uh, there's a bunch of different versions. Now, The probably the best version is on uh, Kenehe's Instagram account. Which, by the way, I followed him this morning. I'm one of the 2,000 new followers. I'm sure he's is following his followers just blew up, of course, as you mentioned. So, yeah, it's incredible, right? It it was hard for me to kind of gauge where he took off relative to where the normal backdoor takeoff spot is because some of the footage was shot from uh, the off-the-wall zone looking towards Aokai. And so, but regardless, I don't think this is, first of all, I'm not the guy to nitpick, you know, like I believe all the experts here, you know, the, the Shane Dorians, the Jamie O'Briens, the, um, all the, all the Hawaiians that, that know, um, are claiming this as pretty, if not the, I don't know, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to put any um, labels on it. Um, because again, I'm not the guy to do that. You know what I mean? I feel like the experts should speak here. Um, but it's an incredible wave. It does look like he takes off on the kind of the gum side of pipeline. And it's a really random wave that a wave would, it had to be the perfect size to kind of go underneath and shift over. And then for that long line to hold open, maybe there was some offshore wind. And I mean, all the things had to come together perfectly. The tide, the, it was it was just a rare, a rare ride in that he, you know, the thing opened up and stayed open across the entire reef and let him out at off the wall. So, wow, hats off, incredible and um, well-deserved. Obviously, he put in his time and he, or 
You know what? He's just well, he's a good guy, and so it, good for. Well, him. I was thinking that he's not at the top of the pecking order, which is why he would be sitting inside over on that side of the peak, you know. And that one just happened to appear, and he happens to be capable enough to actually and figure out and see the opportunity on that wave to actually make it happen. But it's undeniably one of the best rides I've seen in years. And here's this speaks to the progress of surfing right now. Um, Benji brand. I mean, right now this is my Duke of the week. This kid coming out of nowhere and getting this wave is the Duke of the week. Yeah. So we won't save it for the end of the show, but in my Duke comments prior to last night, I had Benji brand because Benji got a wave earlier in the week. Peter King posted it at pipe. That was just a screamer. And I thought, you know, Benji does not get enough acknowledgement. He's been doing, he is the guy, I don't know, for five years now that kind of gets not only one of the best waves of the year, but multiples. And yet every next year when he does it, it seems like he's a new guy on the North shore, you know, getting it like he's not, he hasn't for whatever reason, I guess maybe, um, doesn't have the big support team of sponsors and all that stuff promoting him throughout the year. So we only kind of see him at pipeline every once in a while, but he deserves a Duke credit because he's out there for every swell, whether it's perfect or warbly or whatever, he's there getting crazy waves. So I love Benji brand, but this now trumps that wave because Benji's was holding, holding down the wave of the winter for me until now. Yeah. I'm watching this thing over and over and over again. And it's, you know, the couple things popped to mind. First of all, this is this guy's wave of the life, at least, on the North shore of Oahu for sure. Right. So what do you do if you're 21 years old and you're probably never going to get a better wave than this? It's assumed that this is a once in a lifetime situation. Um, I guess it speaks to the power of surfing that you just go surfing again, you know, and like, it doesn't really matter because you can have joy at three foot waves or in 10 foot backdoor pipe. Do you so, remember the movie Napoleon dynamite? Yes. Do you remember Uncle Rico? Love me some Uncle Rico. Where he was reliving his high school football days. He was like, you know, back in 11th grade, I threw the whatever. It was almost like Al Bundy, actually, from Married yeah. with Children, where he's just reliving like those, the one game where there was four touchdowns and he's always holding the football, pointing to the mountains. See those mountains? I bet I could throw this football over those mountains. You know, that's going to be Kanahi. <laughs> what is it? Kanahi? Kainehi, Kainehi Hunt, reliving yeah. the glory days. I could see a surf version of a film with him just living in the glory days of the 21-year-old wave that he cut. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's incredible. And um, and of course, you know, he's getting his 24 hours, his 48 hours of of well-deserved fame in the surf world. And it's just um it's cool. And and to see so many people chiming in in acknowledgement and in stoke for him is really really cool you know um well we've talked about it in the past but surfing is the ultimate meritocracy where everything is erased once you step in the water it doesn't matter i mean i would argue race certainly socioeconomic status all of those prejudice that you hold um either kind of a overtly or subliminally when you see somebody rip a wave you bow down you know if you know what it takes to kind of not only 
develop the skill, but survive the ocean. And then you see somebody do it to that level of aptitude. You just bow down and that person is king for the day. And so I think I everybody mean, does. Everybody does chime in. Cause it's like even Kelly Slater or whoever, Jamie O'Brien's looking at that going, what? I guess my question is one, does he come out of the barrel at the end section of back door and then continue to kind of ride it and just um, in dismay and raise his hand and finally finish the wave it off the wall, which is what it looks like. And again, this doesn't matter. Like I'm not trying to throw shade. This is an incredible ride. I'm just wondering where does he come? Cause I'm, I'm interested to know where he comes out of the tube relative to the backdoor reef. Um, is this where we see everybody that ever gets spit out? I think, of the went, I think it went, I think it went way past that. Right. Yeah. Well, I, and I hope so. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping some experts can chime in because it feels like he took off from way deep in like the gums area, way up on the Aokai side of, um, you know, the beach park side of hype and rides it and then connects through where normal yeah. people would be riding back door and then finishes, you know, gets spit out of the wave where there's a hole in the reef and back door kind of goes deep. Um, but I don't know. And maybe more will be revealed. Regardless, it's an insane. He wrote it perfectly and good for him. And um, I mean, he's our Duke Kahanamoku of the week. And in some ways, he's our must-see moment. If you haven't seen it already, your head's buried in the sand, at least on Instagram. I'm going to presume, yeah, if you're on social media, you will have seen this. So I've got a different must-see moment that I will present later in the show. So stay tuned, listeners. It's going to be an exciting one. Um the other kind of big news coming out of Hawaii and pipeline or backdoor specifically is Joao Chianca's hospitalization. Yeah. Holy guacamole. This was wild. Um, quote, his board was tombstoning. And when they got to it, he was stuck at the bottom, still attached to the leash, said an eyewitness. World number four and 2022 Vans Pipe Master finalist Joao Chianga is in stable condition at Queens Hospital in Honolulu after sustaining a multiple wave hold down at Pipeline. He was dragged to shore by Jake Mackey, who you and I mentioned last week for getting that crazy bomb at the Outer Reefs. Um, the rescue took about three minutes, which by which time Joao had taken multiple waves on the head. He was last seen uh, breathing before he was carried away in an ambulance friends and family are with him at the hospital according to reports the conditions were 8 to 12 feet with light winds proper heaving pipeline pits on the inside ledge a lineup filled with vans pipe masters competitors and um uh and a, a handful of second reefers as well so it was a big day at pipe well first of all super super scary like the fact that Jow's still alive is somewhat of a miracle. Totally. In my opinion. Um, we've, you know, people die at pipeline. It's not, this happens and it's horrible. And it's, it's part of the equation when people paddle out there um, for him to be held down. Did you say five waves? Multiple waves. Multiple waves. I heard, I read five waves somewhere, but regardless, it doesn't matter. It was, he, his brain was, without oxygen his body was without oxygen for a long time and um and thank god he's alive i mean this could be really this could have really put even a, a darker sort of cloud over the north shore season if we lost 
one of the top surfers in the world. Um, and so I'm just grateful and thankful that he's still with us. I mean, I think that shouldn't be overlooked, that this is kind of a miracle. And good work to the crew, the, to Jake Mackey and the entire uh, North Shore life life-saving crew and um and all the surfers there I mean it, it's you know it's it's sad when this happens but it's neat to see the community come together on the beach right there in, as this thing unfolds and it always happens that way that um everything's put to the side and um because I think they all realize how how incredibly serious this is and how incredibly dangerous this wave is and um then the other side of it once we move past that, um, we wonder how he's doing right now. Like, what is his condition? There, there's been a little bit of radio silence on this. I, I checked in with his team last night, actually, in preparation for this and just said, what's the official report that we can deliver on air? And um, they said nothing. There's no report other than what's already been published. So unfortunately, we can't report any further on that. But I agree with you. There's no way to overstate how dangerous and scary and intense this moment is and the rescue efforts would have to be to recover somebody from a situation like this. And there's also no amount of filming that can really get inside of this type of a rescue effort because those that set is pounding the reef. Let's presume he took off on the first wave if there's multiples that he, he gets he held did. down for. Yeah, he did. Okay. I, I saw it. Yeah. So first wave of the set to rescue somebody during a set at pipe is an insane concept right like right there on the peak too not off on the shoulder where it's washing over you right on the most intense part of the reef shallowest part of the way the backdoor section is the shallowest i would argue again i'm not a super expert but i've served totally. there i know it. yeah go ahead and we're not just talking about hitting your head on a hard surface underwater and then getting pummeled by the on next couple waves there's cracks, not only cracks, there's caves in the reef. So it seems like from the way that this is told, his board tombstoning with the leash fully extended and he's stuck on the bottom, he's stuck in the bottom. He's stuck in a cave. So imagine trying to rescue somebody out of a cave in dry land, you know, with no turbulence, but he's stuck there with all the intensity of oncoming sets. And Jake Mackey, apparently... You know, in addition to looking at the horizon for the waves that are coming and surfers that are on those waves, notices that Joao's been down for a minute or two and says, I'm headed into the impact zone, diving down, going to get him out of that cave, then going to get him to the beach. It's crazy. And I presume at some point the lifeguards, because they were involved in the rescue, they saw that this was happening too. And so then they come to his aid. But it is in, I mean, you cannot do it justice by putting it into words or even, like I said, filming it because it's that intense. Yeah, it's funny. I When I sit here and I try to put myself in Jake Mackey's situation, you swim up to a board that's tombstoning. And I, and I think to myself, okay, I'm going to just follow the leash. So let's say like we grab onto the leash. We're obviously opening our eyes underwater. There's tons of crazy shit happening. You probably can't see anything anyway. You get to the foot. Do you pull the leash off or do you keep the leash attached so that you have some sense of, of where this person is? You know, in that like moment, I would leave it on, I would in, think. Huh? In that moment, I think I would leave it on. 
Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I again, uh, this is the these are the things that are going through my mind. If I've God forbid him ever. First of all, I don't. I couldn't even do what Jake Mackey did at my age. But, but you know, survival instincts kick in, and um, and then my second thought is, okay, first of all, this is you. You should watch this again. Like he catches, he he falls on the first wave, and it's a fall from the top all the way, pin dropping to the bottom, and then we're talking massive set. Like he took off on the smallest wave, the first wave of the set. And this is a proper 10 foot. And there's like four or five proper massive backdoor peaks coming at him. And it, it's just, uh, it's just a scary situation. And as we move forward into, into this, um, you know, we, Jao had an incredible wipeout. Was it last year or the year before? I think it might have been two years ago, right before remember. Masters. And we're like, "Oh, this this could be this could set him back mentally. Like his mm. this could scare you. This is the type of thing that scares you and and makes you hold. It makes you not as comfortable." And he went out and absolutely charged. I think he made the semis, or he might have even made the finals, but he charged. It was the year he like took down all the heavies. You know, he went, he blasted through John John. And I might have my numbers or my names wrong, but he went really far and he just basically showed us that the wipeout that he took did not have an effect whatsoever. And now I'm thinking to myself, man, this seems really scary. Um, I, you know, we're going to just have to wait and see. But this, I wonder if this is going to affect his mental state when he's in competition. Yeah, it's a great question. It didn't initially, but as you get older and you accrue more and more of those, then how could it not, you know? Um, and I'm wondering what his recovery even looks like full stop. Like, do we see him at the first event of the season? Is he recovered by then? We we don't know any of this yet. Well, um, the fact that they're being quiet about it, um, first of all, I respect that they're asking us to respect this process. I, I get that. I think that's important. You know, he is, however, um, one of our world-class athletes in this sport. And, um, you know, he has a fan base that's, that's, um, you know, he's got a large fan base. You and I are two of his biggest fans. And, um, the fact that they're being quiet about it, um, upsetting a little bit not that they're not saying anything it means that it's probably pretty bad and um on god I, you know i'm just gonna pray for joe and um and hopefully things are gonna we're gonna hear a turn for the better here and we're gonna find out that he's suiting up and everything's good you know yeah is he yeah. in the pipe masters that starts tomorrow uh I, i'd have to check but he was in the finals of it last year so i would presume he is okay and then the other thing is, and tomorrow's not a WSL sanctioned event, but what are the concussion protocols? All major sports these days have concussion protocols that the athletes have to go through once they've been deemed to have had a, a concussion. And it yeah. seems like this would be a, a time to uh, at least get clearance from the official doctor, you know, whoever that is, um, so that we don't make a horrible mistake here. Well, yeah. And it should be stated, we don't even know what Joao's injuries are that he sustained. So we're not sure if he had a concussion. It can be presumed. But we also, uh, just being deprived of oxygen for that long creates its own issues as well. So we don't we don't really know any of it. But the whole thing is sad. And it also makes me think, 
I'm shocked that this doesn't happen more often because you watch that wipeout and we see wipeouts like that on every single swell, you know? And so you just never know. And that often happens actually that the most, um, you know, traumatic wipeouts and the ones that people actually do die on aren't necessarily even the gnarliest looking wipeouts of the day. You just never know exactly what the wave is doing and what's happening underwater that, um, because these are the most capable athletes in the world. So it's not a reflection of their lack of preparedness or anything like that. It's like, it's just sometimes things go wrong underwater and you just don't yeah, know. And, you know, the, the fact that this was a massive, you know, five or six wave set and he took off on the first wave suggests that, look, the ocean's drawing water off the reef that he doesn't even know about. He doesn't know there's five solid waves behind him. He just knows that somebody's going, hey, it's your turn, go. Yeah. And, he's, and Jao, we know Jao, he's going, yeah, I'm going, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I think the amount of water drawing off the reef may have, you know, again, it's all sort of speculation at this point and probably out of respect for the situation, um, I should yield and just, and just, um, not be so, uh, speculative. Yeah. Well, Crazy scenario, thoughts and prayers with Joao, of course, and we would love, I mean, he's on such a roll competitively that obviously we would love to have him back primed and ready for the season um, because he honestly, I feel like he has world title potential. So we'll see where this goes. We'll keep you posted as we know information, um, as we learn more. Hold on. Yeah, go ahead. Gentlemen. Our friends over at Manscaped have been working day and night to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra, featuring the Lawnmower 5.0, the next-gen trimmer with interchangeable blade heads. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with promo code SPLENDOR. High-tech gear for low places. I started using the lawnmower when it was in its 1.0 version. You can hear me preaching about it right here on this very podcast five years ago. And in that five years, technology has gifted us AI and the incredible gift of futuristic trimmers. Shaving sensitive areas used to be scary, but now we've got two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, dual LED spotlights, three different lengths of setting combs, and oh, it's also waterproof. And that's just the Lawnmower 5.0 that I'm talking about. We also have the Weed Whacker 2.0 ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Soother Toner, and the package comes with their Lux and updated boxer briefs and a travel bag to carry around your performance package. So upgrade your own grooming or give the gift of cleanliness with the Performance Package 5.0. I will save you 20% and you'll get free shipping with code SPLENDOR at manscaped.com. A trimmer so tech it looks like a rocket. Get yours from our folks at manscaped.com. Promo code SPLENDOR. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. 
Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, yeah. Back. Um, the other thing I just wanted to follow up on from last week's show and also in relation to Hawaii is that that Holly Eva contest did finally wrap up in pretty good waves. Uh, Aaron Brooks won the women's division, which I think is amazing. If you watch the footage of her in that final, she's surfing unbelievably well, but we've, we've pointed at Aaron Brooks for a while as being kind of um, somebody who's going to be a breakout star on the women's side and disrupt the tour. But to be honest, her competitive results she wasn't really focusing on competition. Um, a lot of what we were drawing those uh, kind of that potential off of was free surf performances of which have been incredible. And she's always, she's kind of tracking swells. So you'll find her at Kandui. You'll see her obviously in Hawaii all over the world. So kudos to her. And then for being in this competition and allowing that talent or figuring out how that talent translates on the competitive side is also incredible. So Shout out to Aaron Brooks. She took the win over Kiala Tomoda uh, Banner, Noah Leota, and Pua DeSoto. And then Jackson Bunch took the win on the men's side, barely, over Jake Marshall, your hometown local boy, Cody Young in third, and Cheyenne Crawford in fourth. That's cool, Jake. Jake did well. I didn't know that he did so well. That's So he got second place, Jake. He got second. And it's right crazy. On. It's crazy. We've talked about Jake a little bit. Um, when I saw him dominating the um, NSSA comps in Southern California when he was coming up, I just thought he was a sprightly young ripper, right? He's going to surf beach break waves good. I cannot believe how well his skills have translated to Sunset Beach and Haleiwa in Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, he's a tall kid, you know, like he's he's a pretty big kid. So he's his frame's going to fill out mu- you know, muscle-wise. As he gets older, I don't know how old he is now, but I'm sure he's 25, you know, like in the prime of, of fill out. And so, um, and, and the thing, as you know, about Jake is that he's got insane air game. So he's, um, and competitively he's, he's completely, um, intact. Like he knows how to play the game. You know, he's played the game since he was, you know, 10 years old or whatever, eight years old. So. I mean, he was the only non-Hawaiian in the draw 
from like the quarterfinals on. It was all Hawaiians. And so, um, and like I said, him kind of surfing good and bigger, heavier surf, he's doing these just long, drawn out turns that are just so impressive to see. Like seeing those waves and the amount of, you know, distance that you have to cover and doing it all on rail. It's just really impressive. So, but that's to take nothing away from Jackson Bunch, who did win the event. So, shout out to Jackson and Aaron Brooks. Yeah, good work. Um, so, sh- yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, the electric acid surfboard test. Okay, so we've got that, and we've also got Tahiti update that we need to give people as well. Oh yeah, please, please do. Let's jump on Tahiti first, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um. I mean, this is, so we talked about this the last couple of weeks, actually, because the story has been evolving. And the last week, uh, last week we were talking about Matahi had posted an Instagram reel where he said, basically, we feel like we're being lied to by the local government. And, and they seem to be moving forward with this, despite our pleas for them to consider an alternative. And by when I say this, I mean, they want to build a new judging tower. So $5 million judging tower. There's going to be 52 holes um, drilled into the reef. And it's going to disrupt their delicate ecosystem, of course. So he said, the current judging tower people have used forever. Let's just continue to use that. The Olympics said, no, we want to do this for three days worth of competition. Matai said, this isn't worth it. And it seems very suspect for three days of competition. Why would they be making this huge investment? And let's see the plans. And it turns out they would not share the plans. The local government would not share the plans. So they started this local homegrown grassroots movement to kind of thwart the building of this. And nobody was budging, basically. The IOC was going to continue to build this thing. So in the time since our last show and now, they actually, the Olympic committee got on a barge, took the barge out onto the reef to do like a kind of initial survey of where they were going to drill and do some planning. And the barge got stuck on the reef. It got dry docked on the reef and dislodged uh, coral heads, essentially damaged the reef, exactly what they were concerned about having happened. And this isn't even while they're building the structure. This is just the pre kind of survey. So, uh, quote, this concern came to fruition yesterday as a pre-construction barge ran aground during the pretest. The videos that have been released show the barge prop, the barge's prop sputtering on near exposed coral as it grinds across the bottom. This is all documented. All of the locals were out there on jet skis kind of filming the, the whole thing happening and shouting and like trying to kind of stop it in the moment. So what's good news is because of this minor disaster the olympic committee is with they haven't withdrawn completely with all their plans but they're at least pausing their plans for now until a viable solution can be reached so that's where it currently stands the isa which you asked about last week you said what is the isa's commentary on this the isa actually took to instagram finally i think yesterday or the day before and addressed this and basically said um well, they didn't say much. They said that we are. So they, their, their big thing was they state that, hey, we're not 
But all we do is the competition. We don't have anything to do with the infrastructure. That's on the IOC and on the first Polynesian government. So please don't, we're not the reason why these people are setting up this, this new tower. We're fine with the old tower. They didn't say that. Those are my words. But um, they're basically saying, look, all we do is the judging and competition. They started by saying that their biggest concern is environmental protection as well. So they're, you know, we're all for protecting the environment, but of, than what you said. So they didn't really say much. They tried to kind of placate both sides, I feel, um, which is fine. I think, so the other thing that I alluded to last week, which is nobody's actually reporting on because maybe there is some liability issues here. My concern was about, it doesn't make sense to do all of this for three days when there's a tower that's functioning that's worked for 15 years plus. And so what is really going on here? And it seemed from what Ashton reported with the um, the no contest series was that there were plans in place to pave roads, to actually pave walkways and things like that. So he didn't explicitly state that it, I think he may, may have explicitly stated actually that it was in relation to the Olympics. So maybe that's part of the plans that they don't want to share with the local community and the local community would see that there is a bigger play here. And so that was my concern that I was alluding to last week was, yeah, it would be a tragedy if the reef got damaged. What if the wave goes away, right? What if that delicate ecosystem gets changed forever? But what would be an even bigger shame is if this is a larger play to develop the greater community of Chopu for hotels, restaurants, and that sort of thing. So I mentioned that last week, and then this email came in from a listener who's a PhD um, assistant professor in political science. And he said, hey, David and Scott, I want to add some additional information slash context to the Olympic Tower and David's theory of redevelopment under the guise of the Olympics. Based on history with the Olympics, I think David is 100% spot on. The Olympics have long been used as a vehicle for gentrification and redevelopment, quote, redevelopment, pushing out long-term low-income residents from valuable areas of the host city so that those places can be, quote, improved for the Olympics. Right now, Paris is having this conversation about development and who will be displaced? Spoiler, it's always low-income communities. In Tokyo, they displaced 300 families to make way for the games. And the sad irony is that several of them were also displaced in the 1965 Olympics. Comment of the week. Oh, that's kind of the bulk of what he had to say. But he did reference a number of academic articles as well that kind of uh, just give you the facts and statistics about what's happened in the past. Um. So that's that's the bulk of kind of what I had to say there then in the story that I feel like is not being reported on. Yeah, look, the um, the easiest to displace are those without resources to sort of have their voice be heard. You know, um, the one thing where I think they're making a mistake here, and I mean the IOC and the local French Polynesian government, is these are long term residents, but these are not poor residents. I think that um, and and also the this area is not without global support from the surfing community, which is huge, you know, which is much bigger than it's ever been. And in some ways you can almost kind of like stitch together, um, you know, without professional surfing, without surfing competition, 
this area might not be as well known and in that regard professional surfing is a good thing and that now we have global support for this this resource again that's that's a hypothesis more than a theory no <laughs> but i opinion that i'm not positive about to be honest <laughs> but well i agree though that this isn't a low income community in some major city and it's one small uh sub you know subdivision of a giant community that they're displacing this right. is this is the garden of eden this is the ultimate pinnacle of where anybody on the planet would hope and dream that they were born into or could just live at some point in their life and that community knows it and they cherish it and when you hear about the community activists talking about what they're protecting they're like look we're not protecting this for us this is for our kids and our kids kids like this came to us we recognize when Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk buy up places for hundreds of millions of dollars for them to live with their family, it pales in comparison to where we currently live. You know, <laughs> like it's a lesser version of what we already have. And we are stewards of this for all visitors and for our future generations. And so we are not going to let it get, you know, um, ruined by your guys' development. So that's who they're protecting. Yeah, I mean, and, and in many ways, they're protecting it for all of us, for the world. Like, let's just keep the Garden of Eden. The thing is, too, is like, look, if you want to go to Tahiti and 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 live in a little hut on a, on the Blue Lagoon, that already exists. Like, we don't need to make another one. Like, I'm hoping that's not what the big plan is, is that we just create these beautiful little super expensive high-end bures or, or huts on the water for a five-star friggin' Hyatt or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like that already exists. You can go to Bora Bora and do that. Totally. Like, let's just keep this thing as it is. Totally. End of story. Full stop. The ultimate lesson here would be if the Olympics forces this and they do build this thing, the ultimate lesson would be if it ruins the reef, we have an epic swell for the Olympics and the waves dog crap at that point. Well, here's it the thing. Pointed I in their face and told you so. I'm hoping, and I sort of, you know, sort of talked about this a little bit last time, but I, if I'm a, the local community, and I'm sure they're moving forward aggressively, I'm not allowing this to happen. Like, there needs to be a massive pro, like, you can't let the barge in the water. Like, how did the barge even get there? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why are we letting this occur? Like, I'm kind of pissed off that we even got this far. And as soon as you start seeing, like, backhoes and bulldozers and construction equipment show up and they're not telling you what's happening, it's time to burn the backhoes, you know? Yeah, like, I don't think I don't think they want to take the path of violence because they've been able to stay. Well, are they going to lay down or are they just going to lay down? Lay because down in front of the backhoe, maybe? Because the French government's moving in with a barge. They're just yeah. going to go violent and just – I don't want violence. I'm just saying, like – you know, you can't get bullied here by the French Polynesian government. You, there needs. This is where the ISA needs to man up and go. Okay, you've said in an email. Let me, let me. I'll just tell you what the ISA says. This is the as email that Raymond posted. Surfer, as lifelong surfers, we are passionate about the need to protect the oceans for us and for future generations. We are therefore committed 
to working with all parties in order to find a common agreement on running the competition while protecting the local natural environment. Okay, this is awesome. I'm stoked the ISA has said this. So it's time for them to step up with the local community and draw a line in the sand. If they are building stuff without the plans being revealed, we have a massive issue here. And if these things are truly what you believe in, then, um, you know, there's a red line here that can't be crossed. And that means you have to share these plans with us. You can't just like show up with the barge and start, you know, getting stuck on the reef and show up with the backhoe and just start plowing people's, you know, I don't know. I get a little bit upset about the lack of transparency here. I agree with that. I would say in you're asking about actions, next steps. And I would say it isn't to burn the backhoes, but you could lay down in front of that stuff and just prevent them from, you know, they'd have to forcibly remove and detain the peaceful activists. I think that would be a newsworthy moment that would draw more attention to the, the cause. Yeah. Um, as for you and I, there is a new change.org petition that I will put in today's notes that everybody should sign. And then as the surfers, the athletes themselves, I could see a boycott, a boycott of the surfers in advance of the build, just saying we will not compete if the judges are in that new tower. Guess who <clears throat> this guess where the, what really needs to occur here is friggin' Anderson Cooper. And and this is what I spoke about last time. I said I mentioned Laird Hamilton. You're like, who cares about Laird Hamilton? Well, let me tell you, Garrett McNamara and Laird Hamilton have connections to media types that will draw attention to this in a much grander fashion than just a social media post. Like we need to get to that level where we're bringing in Laird and Garrett McNamara and Kelly Slater and Bethany Hamilton, like people that are moving the needle on an international news media um, fashion and get them to go, hey, Anderson, you got to fly out here and see what's happening. This is bullshit. Totally. That would absolutely move the needle. That's what, that's what, like, are they doing this? Like, are the people on the ground in Chopu, like, are they thinking this large? Have they hired, a, they need to hire a PR firm. Maybe. Well, yeah. not maybe, that's what they need to do. They need to hire a PR firm. Well, they could get to those people that you mentioned without the PR firm, I think. So that's why I say maybe, but I agree with you, the sentiment for sure, 100%. Um, Get me riled up early in the morning, man. Well, this will add some levity. The comment of the week I saw on Beach Grit came from Jimmy the Saint, who said, isn't it a little ironic that we have the founder of Reef to thank for all of this? (laughs) Oh, man. That's funny. That is very, that's a really... Uh, comedic take for sure. It's a, it is ironic. Um, thanks to Jimmy the Saint for that one. And then on to the electric oh, acid. Let me say this so in Fernando's, um, you know, Fernando, I believe I, I know him, you know, sort of peripherally. I've been invited to his house numerous times. He's, he's a very loving and caring guy. And he's a guy that does believe in, um, in protecting the environment. So, um, and frankly, he's a powerful force. And so Fernando needs to get behind this. Like, of course, he's got to tiptoe around the IOC, which he's been trying to become, you know, one of the higher ups in that forever. And so he's got his political dancing shoes on, believe me. But it's time to um, it's time to uh, put your values into action. 
Because, you I mean, know, can, if you have values and you're not willing to to support them, then they're just worthless opinions. Totally. Preach. Preach, brother. That's it. That's all. Um, well, the electric acid surfboard test released episode two. Uh, off, yeah. off to the South Island of New Zealand with Sean Manners. Um, there I'm seems to... I'm convinced more than ever that this is not a very good episode of the electric acid surfboard test and a couple of things a couple of reasons why one i think it's a disservice to the surfer and to the board builders to put them in such cold conditions like it's hard to surf on new boards when you're loosey-goosey and stretched out and warm and you're trying all these new boards you put them in stiff wetsuits and super cold offshore winds on boards that I don't know. That's my first takeaway. Is well, if the waves bad were bad idea to put them in cold conditions. I don't disagree with you, but the waves were additionally dog crap. Yeah, it was marginal, and it was it was freezing. mushy and mushy and flat. I mean, like freezing and freezing. So yes, agreed. But there's a much bigger point that that I think lay, lay down the series. much larger point. Go ahead. Well, you're right. It's a disservice, but it's a disservice that we already addressed last week is that Sean Manners is not the right fit for this contest project. He's a pointy thruster surfer, and it seems to be that that's the only way that his brain is oriented and can operate because he has zero feel for how a twin fin should be ridden. He says outrightly he doesn't like quads. Um, so my my concern here is that this is does a disservice to everybody involved. Does a disservice to the board builders? Certainly. That's kind of the biggest. Absolutely. Does a disservice to Sean Manners himself? He does, you know, I who am somebody who doesn't have a lot of exposure to Sean Manners. This is kind of my first real big investment in Sean Manners as a viewer. And I'm not a I'm not walking away from this a big Sean Manners fan. He seems like a nicest guy in the world, but I'm just not necessarily inclined to watch his surfing moving forward. And it also does a disservice to us. This is a premium product. This is what we pay for. This isn't a free product that's on their site that anybody could watch. You and I, as subscribers of STAB, pay for this. And they've really made quality product uh, for the most part, I would say. And we're glad about that money being spent. And this is a moment where I just feel like, man, I'm a customer and I'm not happy with the product. Yeah, they, they they swung and they missed, and that happens occasionally. And I'm you know I'm not here to to tear down the product, but it's just Sean's not the right guy. I actually like Sean a lot because he's so honest, but his honesty is what's telling here because he's basically saying I'm only liking the boards that's as close as possible to a high performance thruster that I can find. You know, he, he basically says that in not so many words when he's writing the Hayden. He's like, I like this one the best because it's the closest to a high performance three fin. Totally. It's like, okay, we got the wrong guy here. Give me Torn Martin, Mason Ho, a million other guys in Moroccan point waves where the water's 61 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Or, you know, give me any of those guys in the warm points, anywhere warm. You got to put them in relatively warm surf. I'm not saying a full suit's out of the equation, but I'm saying freezing butt cold South Island New Zealand's a bad call. And it's a bummer because, you know, he's kind of poo-pooing on these boards. And it's like you said, it's a disservice to the shapers, I think. 
it really is. That's where I kind of felt an actual offense. I don't mind the premium thing that I said, spending the money on it, whatever, I'll let that go. But I feel like I know these shapers. I mean, literally a lot of these people, I feel like are friends and I'm like, this, this whole experiment used to be yeah. a real highlight of the shapers. They were in the limelight. The surfer was almost just kind of a side character, the boards and the shapers, and they would do individual offshoot four to five minute episode profiles on the shaper themselves. So the large piece, of course, touched on the shaper like this one does. And then there'd be a breakoff piece that was like an intense highlight on the shaper. And I feel like the shapers are just used as stooges in this version of it, where it's like, hey, who's out there that's hot, that's kind of got interesting things? Okay, here's the missive. Make us something freaky. You're into making alternative craft? Make us something freaky. And we're going to give it to a surfer and see if he can ride something, quote, freaky. And that, and that then sets the shaper up to be the stooge. And so I feel like the essence of the project has been lost in this version of it. And I know that different producers are involved now and every, you know, but they're doing, they're recreating the model with missing the essence entirely, almost in a fashion that I feel like the WSL has lost the essence of what surfing actually is man versus nature. I feel yeah. like this project forgot that it's actually about the shapers. The whole con conceit should be figure out how to highlight these shapers, alternative designs, and bring them the best parts out of them, you know, in this video series. It's it's a real bummer because think about it like this. Think about your shaper and, and Stab comes to you and they're like, hey, we're doing another version of the electric acid surfboard test. Would you like to be involved? <laughs> and after what I just saw, I'd be like, no. I poured my heart and soul into a very standard quad fin. I'm speaking of Mark Richards here. And it just got poo-pooed on. Right. And I'm okay if the guy doesn't like the board, but just give me a chance here. Like, like I, they just, well, they missed. They missed big time here. And it's, you've nailed it. I'm just going to shut up because you absolutely nailed it. Well, a little bit more on it. Yeah. The only way to appreciate what, like Corey Graham, for example, he, it's an incredible story that he gives. First yeah. of all, I don't know what the brief was. A couple of people mentioned the brief that the shapers received from Stab, but Stab has always given a very clear outline. We told the shapers they had to do these things. They don't give the brief to us, the viewer, in this. So, But Simon Jones referenced, I was going to make a shorter board, and then they told me to make a longer one, so I, you know, I made whatever. So they, the shapers did apparently get some sort of brief. We don't know what yeah. it is. But my point is, Corey Graham beautifully created something. He goes, you know, I was at this factory and they were doing these wire cutting the EPS boards. And uh, the wire, when it cuts into the block and it cuts off this chunk out of the nose rocker, that ends up in a heap pile. And I said, hey, what are you guys doing with those scraps? And they go, oh, no, those aren't usable. You know, they just go. He said to the landfill, you can recycle EPS. Hopefully they're recycling them. He said they're going to the landfill. So I'll just take them and I'll make something out of them. So he took what would be trash and built a four foot something, almost like a bodyboard style twin fin. And that's what ends up in Sean Manners' lap. Sean Manners receives this thing and is just like, what the hell is this? With zero context, zero appreciation for the everything that came behind it. And goes out there and, of course, surfs it poorly because he doesn't, you know, 
of course, he's not going to be able to surf it like a thruster, but if he at least had the context of why it was built and how it was built and who built it and all that kind of thing, I think he would have had fun on that board. I don't think he would have got up and tried to do an air on it. I think maybe he would have bodyboarded into it. Maybe he would have kneeboarded a wave. He would have understood more about it. And so I think that not providing us viewers the brief and not providing the surfer any context at all to understand why the board was built, the lineage, the history, any of that, of course, he's not going to like it. You know, you're not doing any effort at all to connect the dots. You know who might be super interesting if you want to, if you want to get crazy as a surfer for this? Mike Stewart. Mike Stewart surfs. Mike Stewart can do anything in the water. Are you kidding me? Mike Stewart like, might be an interesting, it might be very, very interesting. I like the idea of getting Mike Stewart involved in more things. I don't yeah. know that he's the right pilot for electric acid. <laughs> okay. Maybe Troy and Martin, whatever. Um, now, uh, this I is will... the wrong guy. I love Sean Manners. He's a, he seems like the sweetest, most sincere guy in the world, but they picked the wrong guy. They picked the wrong location and they, um, this is a fail. Well, one thing I will say against, like, I agree with what you said about Sean Manners, but another reason why he's not the right test pilot is his lack of, um, he doesn't thorough, lack of thoroughness in explaining what he doesn't like about a board with the yeah. channel islands, G skate. He said, this is just a normal board. He goes, it's all right. It's just a normal board. I mean, I don't really like, it. it's not exactly what I want. This is just a normal board. He said it four times. Then with the Corey Graham board, he says, I don't understand it. You know, we need yeah. more than that. To just say it's a normal board is not an explanation of what the things that you do like about it, the contours, the outline, the rocker that you do or don't like about it. And um, so, yeah, that's my, he just doesn't do a very good job as a, he's the exact opposite of Mick Fanning, yeah. who is like detailed explanation down to the measurement of where things go awry for him when he's turning, you know, like, Oh, this one little, they could have, it could have been a sharper edge, just a quarter of an inch more off the, off the fins, you know, something. You no, know, like it would be a good idea is just take a group of like average middling surfers to a warm spot in South America, Central America, and just have one board that they all ride and comment on. I agree. This is a genius idea. Maybe we should implement this. We should do this. What are we going to call it? We need a name for this, by the way. Dude, where's my board? That was one of <laughs> that might be pretty good. That was one of Mitch's pitches when he gave me the idea. Oh, um, and by the way, speaking of disrespecting the boards and Sean Manners' lack of um investment, I guess, in this or like lack of ability to communicate it, he was writing that Mark Richards. And he gets out of the water. He said, quote, I was coming in thinking that I was done with this board. And then I realized that I hadn't even screwed the fins in. <laughs> so you're doing a surfboard test where the surfboards are supposed to be the stars. You go out, surf it, and you think this board sucks. And you get into the beach and you realize you didn't screw the fins in and they're halfway dislodged. That is oh, not. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've never. <laughs> you haven't? No, I've never done that. I've done it once. One time, I, one time, you know, John Foreman. Anyway, yeah. John, Foreman, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Foreman, I was surfing at Cardiff. I see John paddling out. He doesn't have fins in his board. And I, 
you know, John rides all sorts. He rides Elias. He rides all sorts. I'm like, maybe he's just going finless. I go, hey, John, by the way, I'm sure you know this, but you don't have fins on your board. He's like, oh, my God, I forgot to put the fins. <laughs> so <laughs> how did you notice? Because when he was carrying it? Yeah, he was carrying it. Oh, down. Got it. Yeah. Um, well, all right, well, look, maybe, look, there's some more episodes coming out. Maybe there'll be some, uh, some, what's the word I'm looking for? Some, it'll get only- well, there's only one board that hasn't been ridden yet, the Neil Purchase Jr. So we've seen him ride all of the boards. Here's the other thing, just kind of the icing on the cake of all of it is as a viewer, if you knew nothing about surfing or surfboards, Sean Manners says after he gets out of every session that he didn't enjoy it. So if you're just watching it on a cursory level, he's not enjoying it. He's not having fun and he's not surfing well. How are we, the viewers, going to interpret this in any way other than that? So the producers not only came up with a failed concept that missed the essence of what the original concept success was, but they missed an opportunity in post-production here. They could have, I mean, look, they spent a bunch of money, so they wanted to make something, you know, but it, and it's fewer episodes than it's always been in the past. It's only going to be three episodes, but this could have been one episode that was 20 minutes long and it could have been a lesson, you know, it could have been like, I don't know what the narrative arc would have been, but it could have been something to the effect of, you know, this is when things don't go according to plan, or this is when you mismatch everything. Like, I mean, this. is it possible that Sean Manners is just not a very good surfer? No. I'm not saying he's not an incredible shortboard ripper. I'm just saying all the other guys who are like that, Mason Ho, Mick Fanning, they all went out and adapted and surfed those other boards incredibly. And there's no doubt that Sean Manners doesn't even surf these boards good, like on an acceptable level. Is that saying too much? No, that's correct. But when I watched it, I remember watching it and going, you know what? This guy just doesn't look like he's a very good surfer. Yeah. Well, you, he would, again, I'm not here to, I'm Sean Manners, a good guy. I'm not here to like, I'm just saying what I saw when I watched it, I thought to myself, he doesn't really look like he's that good of a surfer. It's a, I, it's a bold claim, but it's not, it's too general. You and I know more about surfing than to make that much of a general claim. What I was stating last week was I think that we as a collective community have overvalued the skill set that it requires to ride the pointy thruster point. and just, and just think that that has overarching value to everything else. And well, that's where we all point. went wrong. Is it easier to ride a state-of-the-art like let's just say like a channel islands uh every day that's a killer a killer three fin is it easier to ride that than it is to ride say a keel fin fish no the keel fin fish is easier i don't know about that w- what makes you say that it's more volume you can get oh, up wait a minute and- we're talking wait a minute it's not more volume we're going to have the same volume in both boards we're gonna have it's, a it's a more five, stable five. it's a more stable platform. A keelfin fish. If I'm just if I'm learning how to surf and I'm taking I'm off on white going surf, straight, I'm, I'm just saying, like the basics of having a middle fin and your back foot having a stable three fin, not like some supermodel high performance chippy thing, like an, an a Channel Islands every day, which is a wide three fin. It's not a narrow. It's very stable. It's as stable. When you stand up on it, you don't have to pump. It goes on its own like a fish. I I would suggest to you that a board that has a wide tail with two 
keel fins on it where you have to move your foot around. Um, it's a little more difficult board to ride than than just a a three fin. I mean, anyway, if you're saying which I guess one's harder, I guess either the here nor there, maybe it doesn't matter. Or maybe those two aren't the most disparate, disparate, you know, uh, op analogies or options that you could pick. That's what I'm trying to get to, David, is that I think those are the very, those simple three fin thrusters are easy to ride. They're easy to surf on. Like once you get up and going on them, you know, it kind of just yeah. does one thing. Yeah. Okay. I hear what you're saying then in that case. But if you watch Sean Manners, he's, uh, air dropping those things into crazy slabbing waves and then coming out and doing a huge air, yeah, you know, I'm so he's an incredible surfer. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So, but I, but I do think that that style of surfing stab and maybe the collective community have overvalued to think that that is the pinnacle of all surfing and that then it transcends into all other styles of surfing. And that's a total misconception. Well, I think I think it's probably the most difficult form of surfing, but that doesn't mean that it's um, the best. You know what I mean? And and we speak to this all the time because you and I can go out on a three foot day on a glider and just have the time of our lives and maybe come out of the water with a bigger smile than the guy who's, you know, surfing a slab with eight guys. And you know what I mean? Like it's the so writing, writing the pointy thruster is the most difficult type of surfing or it's the easiest type of surfing. No, surfing eight foot slabs and taking late drops oh, okay, okay. Is, is definitely more difficult than riding a glider in on a three foot point wave. But our level of enjoyment could be greater and at least equal and or, you know, it's an individual point. In other words, we get back to that sort of spiritual concept. Yeah. Well, episode three, the final episode drops on Thursday. And um let me see what's been dispatched real quickly. If anybody's actually following the storyline, uh, they ditched the Channel Islands, the Simon Jones, the Corey Graham, the MR, the Lovelace still in the competition are the Kobe Hughes, the Josh Keogh, the Hayden, the Neil Purchase Jr. is the only board that hasn't been written yet. The Dead Kooks, the Dark Arts and the Ian Byrne, although none of them have had any resounding success. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. My must, my must see moment. I emailed to you yesterday. Yeah, this is my favorite ongoing series that's been going on, and it is not getting enough attention. Tanner Godowskis doing the Finders Keepers series, where he um, finds a board on Craigslist that yeah. has some sort of an interesting historical context or story, purchases it, and then unravels the entire story and obviously rides the board. So there's a bunch of surf footage in it, but he just released a new episode with um, a board shaped by Ben way and the labels 50, 50 wave skates. And he unpacks this story that took place. It's set in the early two thousands where there was this kind of crew, obviously surfing had become quote um, high performance with doing area airs and stuff like that through the nineties. And there was a crew in the Oceanside area of San Diego in the 2000s that took that a step further and really kind of applied skate tricks to surfing. And Ben Way was the shaper of those boards for that crew and really went pretty far in making really wide, uh, thick tails, shorter boards, different outlines to accommodate 
kickflips and shove-its and that sort of thing. And so it's a moment in surfing that really kind of went away. Like it came and it went pretty quick and it was a small crew that really focused on doing that techie style of surfing. And um, Tanner finds this surfboard for $50 on Craigslist. In the video, you get to meet the guy who's selling the board and he has a little interesting story. Then he tracks down, Tanner tracks down a photographer that documented all of those surfers in that group. Then eventually tracks down a couple of the surfers and the shaper himself. And they uh, fully do justice to the entire movement and the story and go surfing together. And they get some good waves, actually. Yeah, I, I love this series, too. And um, mostly because Tanner does such a good job of it, of basically the overarching theme is that surfboards are the tell the history of our culture you know they they are the sort of the the thread in the in the web of our lifestyle and surfboards are everything and um and any content that excavates the importance of the surfboard i'm a huge fan of it and tanner does a great job and he's had you know some of this series he went to bird at bird surf shed and they unpacked a bunch of cool stuff and talked about the history of this. And I mean, that stuff is vital and will never uh, leave our culture. It, it, surfboards matter, you know? Totally. Yeah, I feel, I think episode two is a locomotion or maybe a TNC that was shaped by Glenn Pang from like the 80s um, that they surfed at Rocky Point with Dane Godowskis was there. So that was a good episode. All of them have been fantastic. But this episode three was a reminder. They don't come out frequently enough for me. It's every two or three months, but I'll point to them whenever they do come out. And by the way, Tanner Gudowskis still surfs. He's all, the, all three of those kids are incredible surfers. They're, they're obviously young men now or, or full-fledged adults with children. But the one thing I'm kind of glad they only come out. Or, well, I'm not glad. I wish they came out more often. But what it speaks to is the sincerity with which Tanner does this. Like, mm -hmm. he's not just like, I need to make content. He's like, when the opportunity arises, I'm going to continue to scour Craigslist and there's going to be a cool story that pops up. And when it does, I'm going to make something of, out of it. He's not like shoving content down our throats for the sake of doing that. Like he's, th there's a real sincerity to these pieces. Very much so. Um, they're really well done. So shout out to that team. And, um, you know what you would wax that board with, Scott? Yeah, trees wax. Why would you <laughs> high performance wax that's also super good for the environment, made out of rocks and trees? I love the uh, the technical aspect of this wax. It keeps my feet engaged in the surfboard, um, and of course, wonderful for the environment. You can do a shove it with trees wax. I mean, that's how sticky this stuff is. So um, you can get it live water in Stinson Beach and Fairfax, Traveler, Santa Cruz, and the Surfers Guild in Carlsbad also carries it. And then, of course, treeswax.com, um, petroleum-free surf wax. But one final thing that um, I was glad to see that Tanner ended on, because I was amazed that he wasn't referencing it throughout the episode, was just the passing of Zach Reinhardt. Zach Reinhardt was part of that 50-50 wave skate crew. And he was somebody who I saw in surf videos when I was first kind of coming up and um, he was doing things that nobody else was doing like the rest of the, this crew was doing them, but nobody else outside of this crew was doing, which are kick flips, shove it's. I feel like I remember seeing him do like a backside barrel roll, like go, like he's going to hit the lip and then grab both rails and just do an actual barrel roll and land it. 
really, really inventive style of surfing. And so Zach is an ocean side mainstay local for the entirety of his life and uh, was battling cancer for the last three years and then just passed away, I feel like in August, maybe a couple of months ago. So that was a really sad and he couldn't have been more than, I don't know, early to mid forties, I'd say. So mm-hmm. shout out to Zach Reinhardt. Yeah, that's sad. Rest in power. Sorry to hear that. All right. Well, look, David, we've um, said a lot. Look, the Pipeline Masters, Vance Pipe Masters starts tomorrow. And I believe they will be running for sure on Saturday, uh, if not tomorrow. I think they're going to get two days in. And then there's going to be some off wins. And then the last two or three days of the waiting period, like the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, something like that, probably closer to the 19th and 20th, they're going to get some prime pipes. So look for early action to happen, then a bunch of lay days, and then early action at the end of the waiting period. Late action. Um, Well, if you want content before then, I just got a notification from Instagram that Couch Surfing Show is going live right now. They're in Southside Huntington Beach. Looks like the waves are kind of uh, firing actually, but I love the couch surfing show. Have you tracked them at all? I haven't, but I'm I'm actively looking up the south side of Huntington Beach right now. Well, just go to couch surfing on Instagram. They're there on the beach. Essentially, the Alani brothers who used to work for, uh, well, Joe Alani worked at Lost, made a bunch of the great videos that you're familiar with. And then his yeah. younger brother traveled with Chloe Andino when he was first getting into it. Um, they've started a production company and one thing that they started doing recently was setting up couches on the beach documenting live surfing for a couple of hours during a good swell they invite the local pros to come down they did it actually at seaside a while back with jake marshall and levi slauson and stuff um so they sit on the beach like you would with your buddies and comment on the professionals on the surfing that's happening (laughs) but then there's professionals in the lineup as well so that adds something of interest for us to watch as the viewer and they make they stream it live on YouTube and on Instagram and they pull comments. They have a production team on the sand pulling comments and putting them on the screen with graphics. So you can chime in on YouTube in the comment section and they reply in real time. And it's, you know, Brett, I'm sure Brett Simpson will be there today. So Brett will comment, uh, engage with the commenters and stuff like that. It's really, really well done. Yeah. Good for them. And, you know what? A great idea that came to fruition because these guys got into action. And there's a lot of great ideas, but action's required for them to actually happen. So good for Joe, Alani, and the crew, the couch surfing crew. Yeah, Alani Media for anybody who needs video production work. All right. Well, David, look, it's been a great show. We've said a lot. Um, until next time, adios and aloha. But
kept them with me, babe. I put them with my own. Can't make it all alone. I built my dreams around you. The boys in the NYPD chorus are singing, "Go away, babe," and the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day.